Earlier this week, I was going for a run on our treadmill. And while I was running, I like to listen to podcasts. And that particular day, I was listening to This American Life. This American Life is one of the most popular podcasts in all of the country as it centers around an idea, a theme, and then finds stories of people who have had experiences regarding that theme. Well, this past week, This American Life was talking about just the the challenge that it was to trust people. It talked about the difficulty of trusting people even after being in, you know, lifelong intimate relationships. It talked about the challenge of making new friends, particularly men making new friends as they grow older and and older and so on. The story that struck me while I was running was the story of a woman who had been the victim of identity theft over and over and over again. At first, she canceled her credit cards and still was the victim of further identity theft. So she went further and she went uh, completely off the grid on the digital economy. She canceled all of her bank accounts, took out all of her money and took a, a bank draft, a bank check and stuffed it into a drawer and just forgot about it as an emergency fund. She went completely cash in all of her dealings and still she was the victim of the identity of identity theft bills went unpaid that she thought were being paid for by her boyfriend well as you can guess her boyfriend was the identity thief and she explained in this story how she had such a difficult time believing that it could be him that even after she discovered that he was the thief She didn't want to break up the relationship. She wanted to remain close. Now, as shocking as that story may sound, this is the the depths that we will go to to find people in our lives that we can trust with everything. And I think one of the things that I learned as I was listening to this podcast is a, is a truth that we all believe about ourselves, but, but sometimes isn't true. And that is, we always are very quick to assume that we're an excellent judge of character. We understand who's a good person, who's a bad person. But time and time again, we get stung. We get wounded by people that we thought we could trust, and then it turns out that maybe we can't trust them like... We thought we could. You know, one of the reasons why people find it hard to trust the Jesus of the Bible is for that exact reason. They like what he's about. They like what he's teaching. But to trust him fully, how can that be possible? Can I really trust him with everything? And you know what? That's not just true of people who are seeking information and wondering if they can fully trust Jesus that's actually true of Christians as well some Christians throughout their entire life only trust Jesus from a distance and they don't trust him in a way that the Gospels proclaim that we can trust him Philip Yancey 
is a well-known author and speaker. And a number of years ago, he wrote a book called The Jesus I Never Knew. And he details how difficult it was to reconcile his learnings about Jesus as a child and his understandings about Jesus later and wondering, is Jesus really someone I can trust with everything? It's an excellent book. I encourage you to pick it up and read it. Uh, but let me read to you some of the introduction, a few paragraphs, if you will. It's a little lengthy, but he describes what I feel is something that many Christians go through when it comes to trusting Jesus. He writes this, I first got acquainted with Jesus when I was a child, singing Jesus Loves Me in Sunday school, addressing bedtime prayers to Dear Lord Jesus, watching Bible club teachers move cutout figures across a flannel graph board. I associated Jesus with Kool-Aid and sugar cookies and gold stars for good attendance. I remember especially one image from Sunday school, an oil painting that hung on the concrete block wall. Jesus had long flowing hair, unlike that of any man I knew. His face was thin and handsome, his skin waxen and milky white. He wore a, a robe of scarlet, and the artist had taken pains to show the, the play of the light along its folds. In his arms, Jesus cradled a small sleeping lamb. I imagined myself as that lamb, blessed beyond all telling. And, and recently, I, I read a book that the elderly Charles Dickens had written to sum up the life of Jesus for his children. And in it, the portrait emerges of a sweet Victorian nanny who pats the head of boys and girls and offers such advice as, Now children, you must be nice to your mummy and daddy. With a start, I recalled the Sunday school image of Jesus that I grew up with. Some, somehow kind, someone kind and reassuring with no sharp edges at all, a, a Mr. Rogers before the age of children's television. As a child, I felt comforted by such a person. Later, while attending a Bible college, I encountered a different image. A painting popular in those days depicted Jesus, hands outstretched, suspended in a dolly-like pose over the United Nations building in New York City. Here was the cosmic Christ, the one in whom all things are here, the still point of a turning world. This world figure had come a long way from the lamb-toting shepherd of my childhood. And yet still, students spoke of this cosmic Jesus with a shocking intimacy. The faculty urged us to develop a personal relationship with Jesus. And in chapel services, we hymned our love for him in most familiar terms. One song spoke of walking beside him in a garden where dew was still on the roses. Students testifying about their faith casually dropped in phrases like, The Lord told me. But my own faith hung in a state of skeptical suspension during my time there. I was wary, confused questioning. 
Looking in retrospect in my years at Bible college, I see that despite all the devotional intimacies, Jesus grew remote from me there. He became an object of scrutiny. When I switched on my computer this morning, Microsoft Windows flashed the date, implicitly acknowledging that no matter what you may believe about it, the birth of Jesus was so important that it split history into two parts. Everything that has ever happened on this planet falls into a category of before Christ or after Christ. Richard Nixon got carried away in 1969 with excitement when, Apo when Apollo astronauts first landed on the moon. It's the greatest day since creation, he crowed, until Billy Graham solemnly reminded him of Christmas and Easter. By any measure of history, Graham was right. This Galilean, who in his lifetime spoke to fewer people than would fill just one of the many stadia that Graham has filled, changed the world more than any other person. He introduced a new force field into history and now holds the allegiance of a third of all people on earth. Today, people even use Jesus' name to curse by. How strange would it sound if when a businessman missed a golf putt, he yelled, Thomas Jefferson! Or if a plumber screamed, Mahatma Gandhi, when his pipe wrench mashed a finger. We cannot get away from this man, Jesus. More than 1,900 years later, said H.G. Wells, a historian like myself who doesn't even call himself a Christian, finds the picture centering irresistibly around the life and character of this most significant man. See, the historian's test of an individual's greatness is what did he leave to grow? Did he start men to thinking along fresh lines with a vigor that persisted after him? By this test, Jesus stands first. H.G. Wells wrote that. You can gauge the size of a ship that has passed out of sight by the huge wake that it leaves behind. But I'm not interested I'm not writing a book about Jesus because he is a great man who changed history. I am not tempted to write about Julius Caesar or the Chinese emperor who built the Great Wall. I am drawn to Jesus irresistibly because, how, because he positioned himself at the, as the dividing point of life. My life. According to Jesus, what I think about him and how I respond will determine my destiny for all eternity. And this is the part that I hope sparks something in all of us. Because he writes this. Sometimes I accept Jesus' audacious claim without question. But sometimes I confess I wonder what difference it should make to my life that a man lived 2,000 years ago in Galilee. Can I resolve this inner tension between doubter and lover? Well, welcome to our new series, Son of God, as we look together at the Gospel of Mark. Today, we're just serving today as a bit of an introduction to let you know that your doubts are welcome in this series. Your questions, 
you're wondering whether Jesus can really be trusted are not things that have to be hidden because you're watching a, a Christian sermon or a, a podcast later or you're participating in a worship service. No, they are welcome. And we see this even in the life of the man who wrote this gospel, this news about Jesus. We don't specifically have an author named in the book, but all biblical scholarship points to a man named John Mark. He's the one who wrote it. And if you know your Bible a little bit, you'll know that there was a John Mark who journeyed with Paul on the first missionary journey. It's this same John Mark who was with Paul. And it was the same John Mark who left Paul and went a different direction, wanted to stop, wanted not to go further in that mission. Paul was furious that John Mark didn't want to continue his commitment to this missionary journey. But John said, I'm out. Mark said, I'm done. This is the same one, the same John Mark who abandoned Paul in the middle of the first missionary journey. And interestingly enough, this is the same John Mark that the Apostle Paul would later call a co-worker in the gospel after this quote-unquote betrayal abandonment uh just leaving this mission wondering maybe because of doubt my suspicion is doubt the greatest church planter we know the apostle paul would later call him a co-worker so the author himself knew of doubt and he knew of second chances. Something along the way convinced him that the answer of the question, is Jesus really the solution to all of my life's problems, to all of life's big questions, to all of my life's destiny? He would eventually go from I don't know to Absolutely, yes. And he would do that even in the middle of following Jesus and serving him. It's interesting that John Mark never met Jesus in person. But along the way, he was convinced by those who did meet Jesus in person that Jesus was indeed who he said he was. Most scholars believe that the Gospel of Mark was written in Rome when Mark was spending time with Peter. Now, you know Peter. Peter was the one who Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. But that's not the only special connection that Mark and Peter shared because Peter was also the one who committed just an incredible amount of failure. By denying Jesus at his crucifixion, denying him three times, Jesus promised that he would do it. Peter said, not me, I would never deny you. And yet that's exactly what he did. And then Jesus would restore him and still use him to launch the church in Acts chapter 1 and 2. Uh, Peter and Mark had such a close special connection that when Peter was writing uh, 1 Peter 
Uh, the book of First Peter in chapter 5, we read that he calls John Mark his son. They were that close. They had a special connection. And it wasn't just because of the fact that they were in Rome together, but because they had a history that was the same. Maybe a history like yours where you've wondered sometimes in your life, is Jesus really enough? Is Jesus really the answer? They had both experienced monumental failure and unprecedented restoration. And both of them, both Peter and Mark, would say it was because of this man, Jesus. Both of them would say that this man was worth living and dying for. And that is how Mark starts his gospel. He says, I want to show you what Jesus has done that proves this statement. We read in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, this amazing opening sentence. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And we're going to get into the rest of this text next week. But I want to pause here and stop here just as an introduction to let you know that your doubts, your questions, your past, where you've wondered whether Jesus really is all you hope he will be. The answer is yes. Because the good news about Jesus Christ begins when we begin to grasp who he really is. And Mark summarizes it in this very first verse. First, he calls Jesus the Messiah. He's the anointed one of God. It literally means anointed one. Or another way to say it would be the chosen one. In other words, God was looking through uh, all people, all places, all time, uh, and said, I'm going to pick this person, Jesus. Now, what made Jesus so special? I mean, God could have chosen anyone to be his Messiah, could he not? Well, I think God chooses uh, uh, the Messiah in the same way you and I might uh, choose a draft pick if we're starting a sports team. Maybe when we're playing as kids and it's um, student captains or a couple of kids are captains and we start picking who's the best players, who's the best people. God looked and said, I need the best person for this Messiah and he chose Jesus. Why? It's like that. Because Jesus isn't just chosen as the anointed one. He's chosen because he has a specific background, a specific uh, skill set, if you will, a specific character qualification, a pedigree. And Mark says that it's because of this pedigree that really starts to unlock the good news of Jesus Christ. Because he also calls him the Son of God. Now we're going to get into what Mark is talking about when he calls Jesus the Son of God. But just imagine that. The reason why Jesus is the answer to all of your questions is because he is also God. 
He's not just chosen by God to be the Messiah. He is God in the flesh is what Mark is claiming. That's even better because that means that he's going to do something better. God always comes and always does something that's even better than we could possibly imagine. He's going to do more than just deliver his people from the hand of Rome. He's going to come and he's going to deliver his people from the hand of sin. He's going to give people a second chance with God. And he's going to do even more than that. And this gospel... That Mark is writing is going to be full of the stories that Peter is sharing with him about what Peter has seen that proved to him that Jesus really is not only capable but immensely qualified and is the answer to all of life's problems, all of life's big questions, and our destiny. The proof is in what he does. And we're going to take the next few weeks and months to look and see if the gospel of Mark is proof enough for us as well. And the reason for this introduction today is to simply invite you to bring your questions. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to wonder and come, okay, so I have to fully believe that this is who Jesus is Come with your questions. Come with your questions from your personal experiences. And hopefully, we'll discover together that Jesus just might, just might be the answer to the things that you're questioning about your life. So as we close today, I'm going to ask you to consider these two questions. Uh, these two questions as are something that we'll come back to uh, from time to time over this entire series. But the first question is this. Would you be willing to invite someone who's curious about Jesus, who's wondering about Jesus, to join you for this series? Would you be willing to invite someone who is asking questions about Jesus, who you've had conversations with about Jesus? Would you be willing to share this service time with them? Would you be willing to share this podcast with them? And encourage them that there's no requirement to believe. You're not going to strong arm them. We're just going to look at the text together and let the evidence speak for itself. Would you be willing to invite a friend who's curious about Jesus to join you for this series? And the second question is this. What do you really believe about Jesus? Begin to process that. And a better way to ask that is this. What would a person who really believed that Jesus is the Son of God do with that understanding? The good news is, and finally there's good news, the good news about Jesus Christ begins when we begin to grasp who he really is. So welcome to our series in the Gospel of Mark called The Son of God. Let me pray for you. Jesus, one of the amazing things about the journey of faith is that you allow us 
you permit us and you invite us to bring our questions, our doubts to you, to the evidence about you in your word. And I pray, Lord, that over these next few weeks, that you would help us to see who you really are. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal to us that you are indeed the chosen one, the Messiah, because you are the Son of God. And because you are the Son of God, would you demonstrate to us that you really are the answer to all of life's problems, all of life's big questions, and our life's destiny. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.